This is episode six of the e-commerce marketing and optimization podcast. In this episode, we're talking business and we're talking with Lisa Reed, who is a business consultant. She's a good friend. I've known her for quite a long time and she has a management accounting background, which is quite different to a lot of other business consultants you'll come across that are more focused on sales and marketing or that have a sales and marketing background. She's got many, many years of commercial experience in both the corporate space where she worked with budgets in the millions through to small corporates and small businesses. So this episode is one we originally recorded for our Business Marketing Show podcast, but it is absolutely packed, full of knowledge bombs, full of light bulb moments and wisdom, particularly around business fundamentals. What I often find is that particularly more experienced e-commerce business owners have got the marketing and sales and the e-commerce bit right, but a lot of the underlying business fundamentals that are driving the business, they don't understand or they don't have quite right. So no matter what level of business you're operating at, whether you're a brand new e-commerce business, brand new startup business, or whether you're doing revenues well into the millions, seven and eight figures, you'll absolutely get something out of this episode. Some of the highlights of the episode, we talk about accountants, the three different types of accountants that you need to be aware of, what the difference is between them, and why asking your accountant for business advice could be a bad move. We talk about financial tools and why keeping your books up to date is absolutely critical and a key part of growing your e-commerce business. We talk about ego and why you and your ego might be the thing that's limiting your business growth, which is an interesting one. And we talk about a whole lot of the underlying foundational business components and psychology that really go into building and growing a successful online business. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Full show notes, links and everything else are over at the Pareto e-commerce website. Check that out when you're done. And I guess I'll leave you to it. Now, this episode, just a note, is actually split into two parts. So you'll see halfway through, there is a little bit of a break because it's a longer one. But trust me, have a listen to the entire thing. It'll be well worth it. You're listening to the e-commerce marketing and optimization podcast, the show where we help you grow your six-figure e-commerce business to seven figures and seven-figure e-commerce business to eight figures and beyond. If you want to learn more about how we can help you in your business, go to ParettoEcommerce.com. Welcome to the Business Marketing Show. I am Brendan from the Search Engine Shop. I'm here with my co-host, Ed K. Smith from Online Impact. How are you, Ed? I'm very good, Brendan. How about yourself, mate? And we have someone good, someone extra super duper special today with us. Don't we do. Our, our second guest star on the show. Yes. Who's also related, <laughs> who's also related to the first guest star yes, special that's very person. Yes, That's a good point. And who is it? It's Elisa Reed from A Little Ray of Sunshine Business Consultants. Yay. Hello, Lisa. Hi, guys. What a wonderful introduction. Yes. You guys cracked me up. Yeah, that's our job. There's no point We're working on the this. introduction. Yeah, it's a work in progress. Yeah, this, is, a, this is only podcast number 20-odd, so we're still getting there. We've still got a lot. It's 21. 21. It could be 21. Yeah, it could be 21 soon. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Great to have you. We'll have a bit of a history about... Thank you for having me. You're welcome. How we know you and 
So I'll let Brendan go first because he's known you for much, much longer than I have. So Yes. So I've known Lisa since 2004, I think, maybe even 2003, when in another life, pretty much, when I was running my IT business and online store. And I think at the time, Lisa, I was, we had hired, so I, had, I want to talk to you about this because I see this with other businesses I work with and friends as well that, and this is something you taught me about, when businesses get to a certain size and the business outgrows the business owners, they have this kind of knee-jerk reaction that they need to hire a general manager or a CEO to run the business. And we kind of, at the time, so our business grew from a million to six million in a year. And we thought we needed a CEO, but in reality, and that's one of the things you taught me that the business had outgrown us and what we knew and our skills, and that was the wrong move. And through whatever twist of fate, we ended up coming across you and hired you as a business consultant, which was like the difference it made within three months to the business was like night and day. I remember that at the time. So, so you're a business consultant, right? That's how you explain what you do. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. And honestly, that term, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, that term didn't exist when I started in business. There was a choice when I started, I could be called a management consultant, which most people would associate with the bigger consultancies or a tax accountant and tax isn't my thing. I can do business tax, but it's not my thing. And I'd take my hat off to all tax accountants. (laughs) They're incredible keeping up with all the changes. But yeah, so I chose to call myself a business consultant because I wanted to work with business people and really be an advisor to them. And, And so I've been using that term for 10 years. And Brendan, interestingly, now a whole heap of people on the websites or on the internet use that term. Which I know. This is my first question because I remember at the time, and I know you have this frustration with marketing consultants and all sorts of other people calling themselves business consultants. And a lot of people have started calling me a business consultant. And I'm like, and because of that, I'm, I'm very clear. I'm like, I'm not a business consultant. I'm probably the closest I could get is maybe a technology consultant. But <laughs> yeah, that's not it's, what I do. It's a bit like the architecture argument. You know, it, there's a lot of technology people that are calling themselves um, solution architects. And the architects <laughs> really hate that because it's a term that, really is designated for their profession. But yeah, you're right. So I guess from a a business perspective, I like to think of business consultants as people that are pretty seasoned or well-heeled in all aspects of business. So not just marketing and sales. And when I first started in business, there were a lot of business coaches who predominantly had fairly strong marketing and sales skill sets, but really no commercial skill sets, so very limited knowledge in terms of financial procurement, internal control. And I think now the market's developed to a point where where it is more healthy. You know, there are providers that call themselves business consultants that have a broad business skill set. So that pleases me greatly. I'm still very dubious. (laughs) I definitely ask 21 questions whenever somebody comes into the market and calls themselves a business consultant. That's a very good question. So what does classify someone as a business consultant? What are those questions that you ask people? Because there may be people listening to this who think they're dealing with a business consultant, but technically they're not really a business consultant. So what sort of questions would you ask, Lisa? Yeah, very good question. Ed, you know, it's interesting. There's no defined 
job role, I guess. So for me, I always look for somebody that is really well healed from a commercial perspective. I think that's the most important thing. If you're a business owner, you've put your life on the line and you're growing a business and, and other people are relying on you, you know, potentially your employees, suppliers, you need to make sure that commercially you're sound so you've got a platform for growth. Yeah. And so when I talk about commercial, I'm always thinking you know, from a whole business process point of view. So if you're marketing and you're selling, you want to make sure the way that you're selling is profitable. You want to make sure the way that you collect money means that you've actually got a a healthy cash flow. So the financial aspect right through your end-to-end process should be fairly sound. And we even think about, you know, how we purchase suppliers and how we engage suppliers and that whole approach really needs to be quite strong. And for me, that's where I usually start. And a lot of businesses are growing without that discipline, I guess, because it's not something that you do learn unless you've been able to access a mentor who says to you right from day one, this is how you need to do it and it's black and white. And for me, it is black and white. Yeah, I think there's a lot of businesses that exist based on pure luck, I think. And you know, we've had, <laughs> we've had recent conversations of different companies that exist that aren't using any sort of technology in terms of bookkeeping or you know simple things like that and they're still using manual ledgers. And that sort of information, if they're not told that, they don't know. It's sort of what you don't know, what you don't know. So Yeah, it's pretty incredible. There are some amazing, amazing mathematicians who still do a lot of their calcs in their heads. So that's <laughs> definitely possible, but it's just the slow way these days. Yeah, and it's not leaving anything systematised so someone can step in and take over. If it's all in someone else's head or only one person knows how to do it in the company, then that's a bad, bad idea. So what else would you ask? Well, you just led into the next point. I always look at who the key people are in the business and one of the big things that um, limits a business is key person reliance. So from a risk point of view, we always look at who has responsibility in terms of the daily, weekly work for the critical tasks in a business. And we ask what would happen if that person decides to take long service leave or wins lotto and isn't around for three months, what happens to the business? And most businesses aren't protected. So, you know, that's one of the first places we start. We work out how we can actually mitigate that key person reliance. And more often than not, it's going to be the business owner. Yeah. And they haven't thought about that. They're conscious of it, but they really haven't thought about what their action plan is. And so that's a really big thing that we'd work on too. Cool. Wow. I like that. Key personal alliance. Because, you know, I have that in my mind a lot because I deal so much with technology. We have single source dependency and single system dependency. But, yeah, that's a good reminder that it's not just technology and software and systems, but people too, right? Yeah, massively people. I, I My perspective is that business is pretty much people and performance, like Mm -hmm. 90% of it's people. So, it's augmented and supported by, you know, the toolkits that we put together, but it's pretty much people. So, business owners have to be people people or almost psychologists, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, I'd agree with that because I remember when we got to, there was a tipping point when we got over, when the IT company, when we got over 10 staff 
you got to the point where you were like a counselor and I called it like running a daycare for adults, but it was a bit harsh. It was like you had to counsel these people. And when we got to 20 people, it was like someone was having a fight with someone else. Someone was upset at someone else. Then there was, there was always one person sick and one person on holidays. It really was like you were this counselor for all these people. And I was in my early 20s. It was like I was one of the youngest people. <laughs> yeah. And do you know what? That's what I love about what I do. I honestly love those conversations. I really enjoy them. And our consult room is set up with four deep leather chairs that you can sit in. <laughs> you can't lie in them. I think if we actually had a couch you could lie on, we'd probably be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, those conversations I find are just – the conversations that actually give me great joy. I had a, a fellow in, a new business owner, he left his employment two weeks ago. He's basically starting a business and looking to acquire one. And I had him in on Wednesday for the first time. And it was such a great session. He was the most amazing guy. He is really well thought out in terms of his approach, but he just, he needed a high level of sounding board. This guy's left a, a high level job. So, he's a pretty switched on guy. He actually came to his appointment in a beautiful, shiny, soft off black Porsche. And so, he's a pretty switched on fellow. You know, that said to me that he knows what he wants and he's pretty directed. Mm-hmm. And it was a real privilege to be, you know, his first sounding board as he starts in business. So, I love those conversations. So, obviously, that one was a positive. There can definitely be tough conversations too, but I like those as well. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Conversations, Lisa, always. (laughs) (laughs) So, this is great that you've got this change coming along and started as of 1st of October. So, I know. It's so I know. exciting. It's very, very exciting. By the time people listen to this, that will have passed a little bit because uh, we've got a few episodes in the bag that were coming out before. But I think in terms of what you used to do, and that's how I got to know you was through your previous business, Business Balance, and we did a lot of workshops together for small business and through the – who was it? Through the – Chamber of Commerce. Chamber of Commerce and... Fremantle Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, and Oz Industry, Federal Government, Oz Industry. It's lots of funded stuff. And I actually started talking to you completely by accident because I called a wrong number. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. And And that was the weirdest, wasn't it? The what, sorry? That was just the universe, I reckon. That was 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 the the universe, universe. yeah. And you just happened to be... Uh, going down the process of setting up these workshops and I had been thinking about doing exactly the same thing and anyway it was one of those very weird and wacky things that happen and I think <laughs> I, I think of all the ways that could not have happened the very fine threads that connect us all it's pretty freaky but so that's how I knew you through business balance but that's so you've had a major mindset change of what you want to do so what came about in your thinking that you said I'm going to move from what I've been doing for the the last 10 years to doing something completely different a pivot is what we were talking about before so so the new business you haven't mentioned the new business name yet Ed so I haven't I mentioned I thought you did a little ray of sunshine we did at the start before oh okay sorry yeah so it used to be called business balance and now it's called a little ray of sunshine now they are two very different names well, <laughs> tell us the story about how you move from business balance 
And I think if a lot of people heard business balance, they'd probably have some sort of a guess at maybe what you did. A little ray of sunshine, though, that's a different thing. So you're going down a very different path and you're using very different methods. So what were your thought processes moving from business balance to a little ray of sunshine? <laughs> yeah, it's a big pivot. Well, I guess it helps to know the history. So when I first started in business, one of the motivators was to maintain a life-work balance, which wasn't really possible in the corporate world and in the business that I left. While the experience was incredible growing up through a multinational company, the, the career path was quite mapped out and the hours were pretty major. So, to be able to balance your life really didn't happen until you got to 60 and that was pretty much the projection. It didn't matter who you talked to. And so, I opted out and really wanted to try and find a little space for myself. And I fell into helping businesses. Honestly, I really didn't have a plan when I left the corporate world and through my tax accountant fell into helping privately owned businesses. And when I registered my business name, I went back to a couple of the contacts that I had and picked up some management consulting work with corporates or publicly listed companies. So I did quite a few process improvement projects for probably the first three years. And on the side, I worked with privately owned businesses. And my whole approach was teaching business owners about life in terms of how you balance life with the demands of a pretty taxing, you know, business role. And in their case, most of them pretty much lived their business, so they didn't have too much life outside of work. So, that was really how I came up with the name Business Balance. For me, it was about being in business but actually having a balance and having a life. Yeah, yeah. And and that worked really well. You know, for the first probably five years, that flavour was definitely something that was palatable in the marketplace. It's probably been less so in the last three to four years the more that technology has come to the forefront and in terms of how we operate. So... Balance is, is, has become a word that definitely has negative connotations um, yeah. and, and so it, there's been a lot of press and that's definitely been in my consciousness. So I've been watching that. I guess one of the other things that happened for us is our marketplace has completely changed and, you know, when your marketplace changes and your customer or your client facing or customer facing, you pretty much have to change with it. So, what I found was that there was less of a requirement to talk about balancing life with business and pretty much most of the inquiries and most of the new business we get is really being that trusted advisor to business people and that can be corporate managers, really senior corporate managers in publicly listed companies or it can be, you know, the owners or directors of privately owned businesses. And most of the businesses that we would work with sort of, you know, range from typically about a mil to about 100 mil. Mm-hmm. And so, you probably call them in the business world, they're probably called small caps in private business. Yep. And so, a lot of what we've been doing in the last three years is really just being those trusted advisors. And so, the comments that consistently came through from the clients that we've been working with is, oh my gosh, you know, in terms of what we were doing for them, we were just 
a ray of sunshine. And we just kept hearing that comment time and time again. And so it sort of stuck. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's very different for a business consulting firm to be called that. But I loved it. And we've definitely, you know, it's probably more appealing to the female demographic than the male demographic. And honestly, I've probably got more male clients than I do female clients. So, in their eyes, it's very quirky. But I think we've been around long enough now that we're able to take a risk with it. And, you know, the more, (laughs) the more... (laughs) more that we're out there, the more people will understand, you know, how it came about. And for me, it's actually a beautiful name because it says something about our purpose, which is really to help illuminate paths for people. And yeah, so it's exciting. I'm really excited about it. And it does, it does make perfect sense when you sort of explain the reasoning behind it. So well done. And thank you. Lots of exciting things coming. (laughs) <laughs> so what what yeah. else do we have on the questions for uh, for Lisa? Well, okay, so let's I mentioned this before. So this is kind of a perfect segue in. So one of the first things you taught me Lisa is that in business you outgrow everything eventually. Well, if the business is growing, hopefully you outgrow everything eventually or you know change is inevitable. So you had a really I can't remember how you explained it. it was 10 years ago, but you had a really succinct way of approaching that. So let's talk about that for a minute, outgrowing things and being mindful of that. Yeah, okay. So I guess I always come from a position that a business is limited by its owner. And so I'm really quite upfront about putting that on the table when I work initially with a, a business owner. And, you know, sometimes that's quite confronting because a lot of people put their heart and soul and energy into growing a business. The reality is when you look at it as an observer, more often than not, it's the owner that's limiting the business. And the limitation comes from having to be involved in daily, weekly things. So, when we take a slice or a view of an organisation, we look at where the activity or where the majority of the activity is. And if most of the people in an organisation at a level that we call tactical, so their focus is daily, weekly tasks, then that's usually good. Mm -hmm. Often, you need to see people also working at the next level up, which is operational. And that's where the focus is more monthly, quarterly, and often six-month or a 12-month period out. Mm -hmm. And typically, that's where a business owner should sit, right? So, as a business grows, you move from being in the tactical and you move up into the operational. And the bigger you get, so let's say that you move from being, you know, five person to 10 person, the more time you should spend in those upper levels. And there's a level above operational, which is called strategic. And that's where you're constantly looking at what's happening in the market. And you always form a view about what your business is doing or the direction it's taking for the next one to three years. When businesses get caught in the growth part of a business life cycle, typically a business owner gets pulled down into the tactical. Yeah. So they're actually doing daily, weekly stuff. And that's one of the first things we work on is releasing a business owner from that, finding the perfect person to come in and replace them to wear their shoes, to basically fit into a job role and be able to do whatever the business owner is doing equally well, hopefully better, mm-hmm. so that a business owner can be released and basically float up to that high level of management. And so, 
as a business grows, it's true that a business grows around a business owner basically and as long as a business owner can release from the daily, weekly tasks and then the monthly, quarterly and still keep a hold on the reins but you've got to recruit the right people that can actually do the tasks better than you. Mm-hmm. And that's the trick. A lot of people will roll in like a general manager, like you talked about in your business, who has ideas and aspirations, but probably doesn't work the business the same way as you do. So, yeah. whenever we look at replacing business owners and the tasks that they're doing, it has to be somebody that can do that as well or better. And usually, if you get that right, and it does, you know, take a while to get it right, it It's often the most challenging thing, finding the right people, but you can see business owners float up and it's just the most amazing thing to watch. And, you know, it can happen depending on where a business is in its life cycle. It can happen quite quickly. Usually we talk about change over a three-month period minimum. It might take longer. It might take 18 months, but it's just the coolest thing to watch. I love it. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Snap. Um, (laughs) Now, one of the things we often hear is people say they have a business or that they run a business, but technically they're self-employed. They don't actually really have a business and they couldn't walk away from it, as you say, for three months without affecting the business. So do do you find that is pretty common with a lot of people? They actually think they have a business, but technically they really don't. They're just self-employed. Yeah, and look, I would call those businesses solo freelancers. So, they're basically labour hire. And so, you live contract to contract. Mm -hmm. From a business perspective, really for me, you're in business the day you employ your first person. Okay. Because then then you have responsibility and then the business is bigger than you. And that point where you make that first decision to employ a person for me, is the signal that you can actually release to. Yeah. So, it's a different mindset being a soloist to actually running a business that employs people. And that's, you know, no disrespect to freelancers because that's actually at the moment, you know, there's there's an amazing influx of freelancers mm. in the market. It's changed the whole space in the last three to five years, which is fantastic. I think it's great more resources available for privately owned businesses, which we've never had access to before. So, it's fantastic. But yeah, Ed, it's really, it's an interesting space. And look, I've, you know, for me, I've definitely oscillated in and out of being solo and then, you know, growing a team to 12. And I've probably grown and shrunk five times now in 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just finding the right balance. You know, often it's more profitable to run a business with five employees than it is when you get to 20 employees. And so, the choices that you make as a business owner depending on what your vision and your direction is. Mm. And that's one, like for me, whenever I've felt the business was successful and on the numbers, you know, the numbers reflect that, business felt easy. Like if the business should feel easy, it shouldn't feel like you are spinning your wheels all day long, putting out fires. And I think some of the things you've said there about being pulling out of the tactical and, and, you know, some of those things about staff. And, you know, when we grew our business, I was so focused. I had the wrong focus. For me, we were so focused on being bigger and better and having more staff. And, you know, we weren't focused on profitability. And I think yeah, particularly in that really small business space, five to 10 staff, there's a you know, an error in, you know, what they're striving towards. They're looking at their top line revenue numbers and not really looking at the bottom line profit numbers that what they're putting in their pocket at the end of the day. 
Yep, spot on. And I think, you know, for freelancers, they're in the professional services space and that's a bit different too to, you know, product or e-commerce, you know, retailers, which would be similar to where you were, Brendan. And the dynamics are a little different. So, you know, if you're a freelancer, you're probably far more profitable as a one-man band than you will be if you suddenly have five people. So, you know, if you're conscious of your numbers, then it's definitely, you know, different perspective. Whereas if you're selling products, typically you'll never make enough margin if you're a one-man band selling products. You need the scale of people to actually generate more volume, more profit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so, sorry, go ahead. Each business is a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on your industry. Yeah. Okay. That brings me to my next point or question because one of the things – and this was a mistake I made and I see so many business owners make this mistake is they ask, they def- whenever they're having problems in business, their default route to, or their default person to ask questions to is their tax accountant. And you explained to me that there's actually three different types of accountant and <laughs> there's, you've, probably your tax accountant in many cases might be the worst person to ask about business growth and some of those things about that. So, I'll let you explain the three different, I don't know if it's changed now or, you know, from 10 years ago, but let's talk about that. The three different types of accountant and they're completely different people, right? I'm so impressed. You're such a good student. What a memory you have. Well, I remember, like, I remember our first consult and literally like 10 minutes in, you had the whiteboard out and I love when you get the whiteboard out and it was like the first time I was 23 or 24 and it was the first time I realized that business is you know, it is part art, but it really is a, a set. It's a science and a set of best practices. And I could see straight away that you, like, you're a person who knew about the science, you knew about the best practices. And on top of that, I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know how to frame this without coming off badly, but, you know, a lot of guys in business, it's a lot about ego and bravo and, you know, I'm the best. And I don't know, it's because you're not a man, but you didn't have an ego. There was no real ego attached to it. It was very, some of that, you know, ego that gets in the way was removed from it. And it was a real light bulb moment for me that, you know, changed the way that I do business. And, you know, I guess it changed my path. But yeah, I guess, you know, that was one of the big things like learning about those three different types of accountants and why that, you know, you might be getting the wrong advice if you ask your tax guy. Yeah. Okay. Do you know what? I'm going to speak about ego first and then I'll come back to the accountants. Ego is a big one for me. And I've just had a conversation about this in the last couple of days. So, I... Everybody needs a bit of ego. In business, it's not great to lead with ego. And given that business is pretty much all about people, the majority of the population don't deal well when they're faced with ego. So, for me, it's really important for business owners, the ego gets checked (laughs) and you can check it wherever you want in the day, but it shouldn't come to work. The only time it has to come out is if you're physically challenged and it's a survival situation where you need to actually use that ego to get yourself out of a situation. In business, generally, you know, 90% of the time, it's not needed. And one of the biggest limitations in growing a business is ego. And we talk about checking it at the door all the time. So, that's it's a very valid point. You're right. I'm not big on ego. I do have an ego. And if I'm challenged, it'll come out. <laughs> but I, I definitely don't lead with it. From a 
business perspective, when we're talking about, let's come back to accounting. When I first came out, the challenge I talked about was I had the choice of calling myself a management consultant or a tax accountant, and I can do tax, and I am a registered BAS agent, but I don't want to do tax returns. And so, I started explaining to business owners that there is a difference between someone like me and basically tax accountants. And a lot of tax accountants, when I actually started consulting, were quite challenged that I was in the business advisory space. So, tax accountants have traditionally always called themselves tax accountants and business advisors. Mm -hmm. And so... When I did a bit of research when I started, I found that most tax accountants had never owned businesses. Most of them had never managed budgets that were, you know, in the order of a couple of million. I'd come from a job where, you know, I was looking after strategic plans for, you know, a business that was in the order of billions and not that I had full control, but I definitely was responsible for, you know, how some of that got spent. And so, my context was very different to a lot of the people that were doing the accounts for business owners who I was working with. And so, what I found was often the advice I was giving them from a commercial perspective to improve their profit was conflicted with advice they were getting from their tax accountants. And so, what I started doing was explaining the differences I saw it. And so, there are three types of accountants. There are tax accountants, bless them, who are incredible people and and we use some amazing tax accountants for our clients who know their stuff and I rely on them a lot and they are fully versed with the tax legislation and they have a complete understanding of how that tax law applies to businesses and to business owners personally. So, they specialise in doing business tax returns and also individual tax returns for the business owners. So, it's a very different space to a an accounting space where you're responsible for preparing a profit and loss and a balance sheet and a cash flow forecast, which are the three key financial statements. And in big business, the person that prepares those three financial statements is called a financial accountant. Mm-hmm. In small business, it's called a bookkeeper (laughs) and it could be a business owner if they're doing the accounts in a a handwritten ledger, Ed. (laughs) So, the financial accounts... (laughs) Yeah, the financial accounts responsible for those three financial reports, which ultimately the tax accountant relies on to prepare the tax returns at the end of the year. In small business, usually we have to do BAS returns, FBD returns, PAYG summaries, the financial accountant or bookkeeper or if it's the business owner doing the accounts, we'll often do those too. And so, we've got those two roles. And then the third role is someone like me. So, my professional, my trade is management accounting. So, I sit in a business and I look at how to improve end-to-end business processes basically to make more money. So, that's always my outcome or my deliverable for a business owner. If you're going to run a business, then at the end of the day, you need more money in your hand from running a business than you would have if you put it in a bank account and earned interest. Mm -hmm. So, management accountants are rare 
industry. You usually find them in big businesses, in roles, business analyst roles, business advisor roles. In private enterprise, it's rare to actually find a management accountant in private practice. So that's me. And and so people like me have quite sound commercial skills because we're used to the financial perspective, the procurement perspective, looking at internal controls. Mm-hmm. And we're also look, we're also used to looking at process improvement and how to improve businesses to make more money. So from a, an accounting perspective, if you're running a business, really you would talk to somebody with management accounting skills to improve your business. You would talk to a financial accountant about preparing you three financial statements and you would talk to a tax accountant about your tax returns at the end of the year. And so I typically wouldn't suggest you would go to a tax accountant for business improvement advice, but you definitely would go to them for tax planning advice. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much exactly what you told me 10 years ago. So, that's pretty, yeah, so, <laughs> so principles don't change, do they? Think of a tax accountant. The other thing you said, think of a tax accountant as more like a tax lawyer. I think that's the other thing you said rather than an accountant. Yeah, that's true because they basically make sure you toe the line with the law. Yeah. And it's interesting now, so a lot of the people that are in the business coaching space or the business consulting space do tend to sit in what I call the management accounting space. And that's where I'm I'm always going to ask 21 questions about what sort of experience they have. It's not just credentials, it's actually how deep the experience is because if you're giving somebody business improvement advice and it's not sound commercially, then for me that's a red flag because that's mm. definitely going to impact your financial statements and it's going to impact your tax return too. So, as a, as a management accountant or a business consultant or a business coach, you need to understand the financial accounting role and also the tax accounting role to make sure you're advising correctly in terms of um, performance improvement. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I know how you feel there because I get upset when people give strategic and high-level technology advice and know nothing about technology. So, I can definitely relate there or they have no business giving technology advice to big business or where it has serious implications so yeah yeah i think one of the big issues we have at the moment is that people are really loose with terms and i don't know how we got there but i think you know the proliferation of information has definitely aided that Mm. yeah and sometimes it's i mean i guess you just have to be aware (laughs) yeah that's (laughs) the challenge isn't it i mean there's so many people who who come into business not knowing five percent of the things they really need to know and i count my you know i count myself in that category there's so many things i've learned in 12 years of business that and i still know i feel i still know practically nothing you know i mean seriously there's so much to learn oh ed it's amazing isn't it yeah so it but the simplicity of people thinking in their head just go and start a business and you know what's hard about it even though the numbers are completely stacked against them for success it's fascinating that people don't do any research before they jump in to what they're about to do but it's no different to any of the marketing things that you know brendan and i and yourself do is that people don't do any market research before they go into doing any you know creating products or you know setting up advertising campaigns or a website they sort of do everything all backwards so there, yeah. there must be a sequence of things that people should follow. So what if someone's thinking about going and starting a business, what are the f- 
couple of major things they need to get straight first before they even go and spend a dollar on marketing, advertising, websites. What would you suggest is the most important areas to get straight first? I guess it depends on how much of an investment they're looking at. Mm-hmm. I honestly drive people that have the new best great idea that they're actually looking at sinking 100000 into. I drive them into the Curtain Ignition Program in WA that's run once a year because it's a really beautiful week to test whether your idea is going to work. It's a test tube week basically for business ideas. In terms of people that are looking at committing a smaller amount of money, Ed, it's such a hard one. Usually by the time I talk to people, they're committed and most of them have sold a house and, yeah. you know, put $250,000 into something and they're six months down the track. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of, everybody's a bit different, but what I tend to find is that, and this is what I see, so this is my observation, and it might not test the same across Australia, but in WA, what I tend to see is there's a lot of females that put a lot of money into marketing without actually testing if there's a demand. Mm. And I see, (laughs) and I see shellers put a lot of money into products or services before they actually test there's a demand and they have no marketing. So, yeah. yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Very <laughs> very seen, seen that yeah. too many times. I mean, I just had someone who came through. They've spent hundred thousand dollars on a website and an app, and this, this is a female, and they don't now have like zero money for marketing, not a cracker. Oh, yeah, mm. and it's basically it's just going to sit there now, doing nothing because nothing was planned in terms of okay, how are we going to market this thing once we've created this monster. And uh, now it's a hundred grand that's spent not doing anything. I think that's the most important question. You've just hit on it there. So you know, when we're talking about growing businesses, the most important thing is your marketing reach. Yeah. So mm. if there's a demand for a product or a service, then you need to work on the most effective way of increasing your reach in the market space you choose to operate in as quickly as as you can so there's um a fabulous researcher and i love his research work he is in i think it's the university of south australia his name's byron sharp and i've been reading a lot of of his stuff the last couple of years he is one of the only marketing researchers that has longitude studies so over like 10 or so years with major companies and a lot of his work basically suggests that one of the only measures we should focus on is reach because frequency depending on a product or service doesn't change too much so spending a lot of money on loyalty is not going to change frequency. So it's pretty much all about reach. And and that's what I teach people. So And you have to have a budget to get reach, right? Yeah. If well, you don't get reach, you've got no one. Yeah. Well, we talked about, me and Ed have talked about before, and one concept that I use to explain to customers is you need to understand the, how the market is, how the customers work, and you, you need to understand whether they have active demand for your product and you need a way to capture that demand whether they're even aware of it. So if they're not aware of it, you need to create that awareness and then you have to actually create the demand. So, you know, these are, everyone assumes that the big idea and, you know, customers will just come, but 
there's yeah. a lot of, like I said before, like when I first started working with you, it was really a light bulb moment that business really is a science and a set of best practices. And then there's a little bit of art on, on top of that. But, you know, if you can't, to a certain extent, check the boxes, then no matter how good the idea is, it's, you know, you're not going to be the next Facebook if it doesn't meet these certain criteria. I went through a phase, must have been two years ago now, where in the space of a few weeks, I had a bunch of different people call me and they were ready, you know, they had 20, 50 grand to spend on this new great big idea. And it was, you know, it was so easy to poke holes in it. You asked a couple of questions and it was pretty clear they've, they had a great idea, you know, that's good, but they hadn't really thought it out. And I have this this article on my website called version 0.1 that it's really all about you know, it's you know, stuff that's talked about in the lean startup book that you need to test this idea if you can't sell the idea to you know one person or five people in person without needing a website and apps and all this sort of stuff you know it's just not going to work so yeah, yeah spot very, on. absolutely spot on. yeah absolutely spot on so um gee brendan and that comes- you're so mate he, he consistently impresses me lisa and it's obvious that Brendan has come from the school of Lisa because it's true. He's a very, I learned a lot from this young man. I, I'm amazed at the retention. I'm yeah, so impressed. Honestly, it set me on a path that since then I have devoured every business book I can get my hands on because I realized that, you know, if you want to be successful, like you said, it, it really is the business is limited by the business owner. So, you know, yep. that's, that's one thing that, you know, there's so many things you can't control in business, but that's one thing I can control is my own learning and my own growth. So, yeah. you know, that was, yeah, like, like I said, that was like one of the turning points of my life is sitting down on that first consult. I'm like, wow, there is so much I don't know. And there is, you know, so much of this is just logic and common sense that gets so wrapped up in the emotions of a fantastic idea. And how good is this? And my five friends tell me it's such a good idea, but you know, it just doesn't stack up. So, yeah, I love. It. Yeah, yeah, the old five I, friends. <laughs> I reckon one of the benefits you guys have in terms of working with people is is a, you know, the the ability to use data, and that's something that in the last couple of years has just been, you know, almost a magic additive to the black and white business formula for me. You know, the fact that you can test something online to see whether there's a demand, look at the data and say yes or no, it's going to work. That's, you know, we couldn't do that 10 years ago. We could only do that in shopping centre, you know, test runs. So, that's massively changed too. So, it's not hard to test because that data is available. Yeah, absolutely. It's never been, like in some ways, it's never been easier to get start a business and test an idea than it is today because you can use the tools and see if it's going to work. You can turn something on today with Facebook ads or something and see, you know, what real people think of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. it's very, very true. I mean, with all the different marketing tools we have available like AdWords and Facebook ads and... Email marketing. Email marketing and remarketing and all the other marketings, it's (laughs) pretty damn amazing. (laughs) We can tap into something in five minutes and find answers mm. out and all the research tools that are available to look into your marketplace so there's really no excuse not to do it it's typically because people are just too gung-ho and they're rushing in and not thinking and they're all excited by their idea and they they don't actually spend the time to do the research so and that's where they typically will come unstuck mm. yeah yeah and we're using data internally a lot too so data has been really helpful for the last well you know probably three to five years 
externally looking at marketing, but using it internally is incredibly helpful too. You get to see some amazing trends just from, you know, the collection of data like timesheets and, you know, mm. even employee, you know, survey results if they're run, you know, more frequently than once a year. There's some great data that helps you grow businesses internally too. So, I'm loving data at the moment. I think that's probably my tendency because I'm an accountant too. Matt always tells me that that is the case because I'm data, data, data. <laughs> this is what the data is telling me. It's great. <laughs> I'd agree. I'd agree. Got to be careful though, the interpretation of the data too. Yeah, you do. You do. One. It's just a guide, right? Yeah. yeah. You've yeah. still, still got to use your, uh, your knowledge. Yeah. yeah but we talk about this all the time, Ed. Like, so many business owners, they want more hits on their website. They want to harangue higher in Google, but they haven't looked at the data. They haven't looked at Google Analytics. They're you know, the number one source of data for their website. You know, often, they are getting enough traffic, and that's not the problem. They don't need to rank any higher in Google. So, Yeah, <laughs> they just don't have any conversion happening on their website. Yeah, so, absolutely. So what else can we ask the lovely Lisa? How long do we have you for, Lisa? Well, I'm, I'm good for at least another 40 minutes. I've got a client taking me out to lunch today, which is very exciting. Awesome. That's good. That's what all oh, no. clients are supposed to do. I only <laughs> one, one of the prerequisites for any of our clients is do they agree to take me out to lunch on at least a <laughs> quarterly basis? And if they say no to that, I'm not interested in working with them. So, so just a note. Ed, I've never had that as a rule. Can I ask you? Could absolutely. Go for awesome. it. Go for it. And any of my clients who are listening to this podcast, just remember that, okay? You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Okay, let's. Uh, so, okay, let's say someone's running a business. They're having, or you know, when should someone look at using a business consultant or an external consultant and that kind of advisory? Because there's a difference between business advisory and business growth, right? They're two separate things, really. Yeah. Look, probably in the general sense, advisory can be growth, but what we tend to do is we tend to say base level advice is advisory and then you'll speak to somebody that's probably more well-heeled about growth and succession planning and setting up a saleable business that's more consulting from a practical perspective you know for me it's the same thing really I provide private advisory to business owners I coach them I mentor them we also provide consulting services, you know, on a project basis to improve their business. When you think about, you know, should I actually contact someone? Honestly, I believe if you have never run a business, then from the first point you have that thought, you should actually find someone, seek someone out and set up a relationship so you actually have someone to walk you through the first stage of that business life cycle. So I, for me, it's a proactive decision. It's a bit like seeing your GP or seeing your naturopath or seeing your chiropractor. I completely believe that if you're setting up a business, then you should see somebody because setting up a business is a huge amount of work. Mm. You should you should be talking to somebody at least once a month. And it might only be for two hours, but you have your list of questions ready and you 
provide those in advance so the person can consider them. So you get full value for, for two hours. And you can get advisory services through a lot of the government entities. So like in Perth, there's the SBDC and the small business centres. In other states, it'll be the same. Yeah. And then you can also seek, you know, business coaches or business consultants. And really, for me, it's finding the right person that you can work with. So, it's all about relationships. You know, most people in the space are going to have experience. Usually, you want the experience to be relevant to the business that you're starting. And then it's how you get along with them because you really want a long-term relationship with this person. And each person can take you through a different phase. So, you might work with someone in startup mode and then you might swap to work with someone in growth mode. I tend to work with people in growth mode and then maturity sale mode. So, I do a lot of work with people that are looking at selling their businesses and typically Mm -hmm. work with them for two to three years before they sell. So, we set up a saleable business and I also do a lot of growth work too. So, you know, probably for me, it's 50-50. Most of the startups are are catered pretty well through the government groups and there's some really good advisors in the government entities. You just need to seek them out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's some good places to go to. I mean, particularly in Perth, there's Space Cube. They've got a startup community there. Space Cube is a sort of open workspace, shared workspace system that's been around for a few years. That We we know Brody who started that. So there's lots of places you can go to get that sort of support. One of the books I'm actually reading now, because, I mean, that's a simple place to start. There's some fantastic books out there to read to get you started. And I think one of the best ones that I've read is it's called Personal MBA. don't know whether you've read that one, uh, guys. I by, have, actually. Yeah, by Carl, sorry, John Kaufman. Fantastic book. The website's personalmba.com. Uh, fantastic, really, really good book. And he has a very good listing of other business books to read as well so a good good selection if you're in startup mode i love the lean startup by eric freeze yes that's one of my favorites that is a great book yeah yeah and yeah that you're right ed that book is has a great list of references it depends on what you you're looking at but a lot of the people that i work with that are in growth phase we do a lot around strategy and so basically brand strategy and marketing plan And a lot of people, when you grow a business, are really clear about what their brand is and what position they have in the market and how to communicate that to potential ideal clients. And so, we do a lot of work on that. And usually, you know, you could be focused on that from somewhere to three to like 12 months. And so, the books that I love that help people in that space, Delivering Happiness by Tony Say and Peak by Chip Connolly. And those two guys have absolutely nailed positioning and culture. And the difference with how they talk about it is that it's all about how the client perceives the business. It's not about how the business owner wants the business to be perceived. And that it's a, it's a slight change in focus, but it's massive when it comes to brand strategy and marketing. So they're two great books. I think as yeah, people confuse brand, they think about the logos and the colors, but it really is how the market perceives you. Really, that's what brand is. Like that's the colors and logos. Yeah, doesn't matter really. You've got the the, <laughs> that was a red rag it's, to a bull there, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's how, Go, it's Lisa. How the clients, 
it's how the clients interact with the business for me. You know, the brand is more about the touch point, the sensory experience than it is really about the logo. Brendan, you're completely mm. right. And no disrespect to any brand designers <laughs> <laughs> because they do an amazing job. But it, it's part of a brand identity. It really is. And for me, how we bring a brand to life through people that's really the brand strategy. So many quotable things here. Bringing a brand to life through people. <laughs> We're going to have to set a separate side, a set aside, a separate book. I have to give you guys another reference. There's a couple of awesome guys who you'll love. They're very, very quirky. Which Brendan is just and Ed. Down- no, oh, sorry. <laughs> Brendan and Ed. Oh, I, I, oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a group called. Uh, partners in spade that are in New York that are basically brand strategists or brand consultants and they're leading the way at the moment in terms of bringing brands to life. So, have you heard of Kate Spade? No. 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 Okay. You'll have to look that up. We will. We'll add that to the, the show fe- notes, won't we, Brendan? Females, the females listening will have heard. Anyway, Sorry, say that again? The females listening will have heard of Kate Spade. Kate Spade. Yeah. These guys are very talented guys. They've got a little boutique agency in New York and they pretty much do their own thing. They're amazing at what they do. So, if you Google and have a look at some of their projects, what they do is pretty much what I teach and I'd never seen anybody do it as well as what I talk about and I've only actually become aware of them probably in the last two years. But, yeah, they're very cool. Yeah. So, great example of bringing a brand to life. Cool. Oh, I have one question I didn't ask you when we are talking about finances and stuff. One of the other things that you taught me about, which I know a lot of business owners or businesses have problems with, you had a rule, you have a rule that the books need to be up to date within seven days because a lot of, you know, tying it back into, you know, managing the business and cash flow and cash flow forecasts and stuff are totally useless if the data, you know, if things aren't up to date. So... Is that still the case? Is that still your the ideal scenario? You're making me feel bad. You know what? I've actually just moved a bookkeeper on, an accountant on in a business because the books weren't up to date each week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm ruthless. It has to be that way because otherwise the business owner can't see where they are. Yeah. And cash flow is just so crucial. You know, even if you're making healthy profits, you need to know where you're at. And for me, the best day for getting the books up to date is a Friday or a Monday. So, right at yeah. the beginning of the week, a business owner has an idea of where they're heading. Yeah. Yeah. That's my deal. So, I, do, I used to do mine on Friday. But then I switched to Thursday, so I have one day in case we have a problem. Or uh, I have a bookkeeper, but I do an hour a week of you know looking at things. And I also do as part of my finance stuff. I check out backups and some of the other mission critical things in the business because I you know some of the things like backups I would count as important as the financials. But yeah, I mean yeah. that was a mistake I made early on in the last business that the financials weren't up to date. So you've no idea what's going on. Have a growing and a growing business will just through chew through cash like nobody's business and also not all growth is good was one of the things I learned as well because in our business, we had explosive growth that was totally uncontrolled, which is very, very different from the type of growth that you talk about, which is controlled strategic growth, right? Yeah. Yeah, and those financials are really important as part of that. Yeah, you're spot on and I don't think there's ever a period in business where you cannot 
have your books up to date every week. For me, it's just a black and white rule. Yeah. Yeah. And it also means, you know, for business owners and, you know, management teams, some of the bigger businesses I work with, it means that there's just a discipline that you have to, you know, have your receipts in. <laughs> you know, they're scanned, ready to be used by the bookkeeper or referred. And they have to be there because otherwise the books can't be kept up to date. So that works really well for me. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I hear some horror stories from our bookkeeper when she's here. Of what goes oh, on in other businesses, and I'm, I go seriously. I mean, sometimes I think I'm slack because you know I, I may be a couple of weeks behind or something, or you know. But everything's always paid on time, and Bass is always paid on time, and all that sort of stuff. But she's saying she's got some you know clients that are two years behind. You know, I'm going. Yeah. And there's money to pay the Bass as well. That's the other important one. Yeah. It. I'll tell you a horror story. I had one person that approached us to help them 13 years behind. Oh, <laughs> oh, no way. Really? Yeah. <laughs> 13 years. And I know. Of unpaid stats. Unsubmitted tax returns and unaccounted for books. I honestly, the only way you can get somebody up to date like that is to take their bank statements and just code off a bank statement. And I've, I've done that before for someone that's been out for three years, but 13 years, and that this is when I had a bookkeeping practice. So this is oh <laughs> three or four years ago. I pretty When the legislation changed, which meant that the requirement for bookkeepers was upgraded, we got this whole inflow of clients from tax accountants that tax accountants didn't want to deal with them and so we just started getting all these referrals and it was a nightmare of six months which precipitated me selling the bookkeeping part of the business. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this poor lady, I my heart went to her but we weren't in a position to actually help. The worst I think I've seen and we've helped was six years. But yeah, it's tough. And so when you get that far behind, it's just a painful process. So it ain't worth getting one bass behind. No, how do they even do? I can't even understand how they actually get away with that amount of time not putting in their books and their their bass. I don't understand how that could actually even happen. The tax office only appears, the system, this is inside knowledge, (laughs) the system doesn't appear to trigger unless you have a bass out of sequence. So if you submit one bass but you'd forgotten the earlier bass, hmm, that's what it appears to be. I think that might be changing their um, their sensitivities at the moment though. They're pretty tough. Yeah, that's crazy. And one thing that, like, there was the other thing that, I learned early on is you actually need to be able to read a P&L. So you to- taught me that the numbers, the static numbers are great, but it's really the trends we need to be looking at. And this is what we use online marketing as well, that the numbers mean nothing by themselves. Like a set of numbers actually means nothing without the trend over time. So I think, you know, as one of the first things, you know, someone listening to this, if you cannot read a P&L and a balance sheet, you need to learn that and you need to understand the trends from one week or one month to the next because that was, you know, if you, you used to say or you still say that, you know, the numbers tell a story and that was one of the first things that I focused on learning is now I can pick up any business, a friend's business, I can look at P&L and I can go, yep, I can see exactly where the problems are here and you can look at a balance sheet and you're like, yeah, look at this number down the bottom, that's that's not right, something's wrong. So 
Yeah. Yeah. And most small business owners don't know how to read those numbers. No, well, this, yeah. was, this was a question. Sorry, Lisa. I'm just saying this is a question okay. I asked my client yesterday because I was trying to get down to some nitty gritty and we were, we were talking about setting up some email marketing processes and it got down to the conversation about numbers and, and I was asking him, well, you know, do you know what your sales figures are for the last month? Oh, no. Do you know what your, <laughs> what your profit is? Oh, I wouldn't have a clue. Oh, do you know? And like all these basic rudimentary questions that you should know, he just wasn't even close to knowing. And it was really oh, quite okay. horrific. So anyway, sorry, you go ahead. Bless. You know, I always feel for people like that. And honestly, I think it's because nobody's held them accountable. Mm. I really, I believe business owners are responsible. And as, you know, consultants, we are accountable if we're working with them to make sure they know that stuff. It's pretty basic. Yeah. If a business owner can't tell me their income and their gross profit and their net profit from last month, it's a bit of an issue. Mm. Yeah. And look, most of them will have a rough feel. But if you've got no idea, it definitely says you're not looking at your financials. Yeah. We're so lucky now because there's so many tools that we can use. So we've always used, you know, the basic accounting packages. So most of my clients that not on enterprise systems have, so any of the small businesses, so Pretty much anybody that's sort of under probably two mil have moved to zero, which is just an awesome package. And most of the bigger guys are still stuck on server packages. And I say stuck because I think at some point there'll be better cloud solutions, but at the moment they're stuck. But we've always done, you know, trends. We've done basically visual dashboards in Excel, but now there's some awesome add-ons that you can actually attach to your accounting package that we use. So, that might be worth mentioning. There's a couple that I would recommend. There's one that we use for cash flow uh, forecasting, which is called CALXA, which is C-A-L-X-A. And I just use the cash flow forecast piece in there. There, There's other reporting, but I love the cash flow forecasting, which means you don't have to use an Excel spreadsheet if you're not comfortable with Excel. Mm -hmm. Most of the data just pulls from your accounting system. So, it's a great add-on for Xero or for Myob, QB Online, I think too. And then the other one that I love for dashboards at the moment, and you can use it for financial or non-financial. There's two actually, but the one that most business owners prefer is Fathom HQ which is just a, a cloud piece of software that you can attach really easy with Xero, mm -hmm. pretty easy with Myob too. Awesome. But you can tailor those so that you can see your trends. So that just takes all the crunch work out of it. So really business owners have no excuse for not looking at their financials. Yeah, for sure. And, the other and one I, I'd I always like get shoeboxed as well. Yeah. Managing receipts and paperwork. I love that. Yeah. And do you know what, with Shoebox, you're in a really good workflow with that. I find if business owners are disciplined, it's beautiful. If they're not, then what happens is they get behind with their weekly bookkeeping. Yeah. And so, it's awesome if you can be disciplined and use it. It's a great tool. Yeah. Those tools for me, like, have just changed, you know, they, there can be no excuses. They've changed, you know, the whole context of looking at your financial reports in the last couple of years. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And it really ties into business growth too, right? Because if you grow a business that's not actually profitable, then you are going to be losing more money. Or if it has a negative cash flow cycle or there's negative cash flow, then 
it's going to chew the money in the bank or you're going to need to put more money into it. So without those numbers really form the foundation of any growth or anything you're doing online otherwise. like Spot on. And you've led right into one of the best ways to check whether growth is worthwhile is to trend what we call the break-even gap. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a term that we use, it's called the busy fool syndrome. And so, if you look at the break-even gap over a period of time and that break-even gap is decreasing, then it means you're doing way more work than you're earning profit and you really have to question whether it's worth growing. So, the idea is when you grow, you want to maximise that break-even gap, which means that you're making, you know, really reasonable profit. So, ideally, that gap, you know, from the first day you're in business right until, you know, your 10th year in business never diminishes. That's obviously not the reality as you grow. It definitely, you know, it diminishes and then increases. But the idea is that we always keep our eye on that or mm-hmm. eye on the pie and we never want to get to the busy fool syndrome. Hmm. Have you guys seen that? No, first I've heard of that. No. I, okay. I understand the concept. I you know, have a different way of framing it in my mind, but yeah. Yes. So sometimes I'll I am a busy you. fool. That's, that is an issue. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll I think everyone's a busy fool. I'll send you a copy. Cool. It's just a visual. Yeah. Yeah, that's It's that's very great. cool. Cool. Now, we've been talking, guys, for an hour and 10 minutes. So what else do we think we can get across in this space of time? That's important before we let Lisa go. (laughs) Do you know, one of the things if you want to talk about it is how do you grow? We could talk about that in terms of what needs to be in an action plan. Yep, go for it. I love that diagram that you had in your book that I use all the time and our model of online marketing is actually based around that. So, that's a good idea. Let's talk about that. So, you're talking about the five ways? The five ways, yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know this one. I don't think I've seen this. You have, have you done this in workshops or anything, Lisa, or is this something that the five ways? No, it's actually a financial model. And I so that's a base level model that we definitely talk about in business. And then I'll, I'll tell you the formula, Ed. You will have heard of it. So basically it's leads by conversion rate equals customers Yeah. by average number of or average dollar sales by the number of transactions that they would buy from you in a year mm-hmm. equals sales. Okay. Minus cost of sales equals profit. So that formula is a base level formula that we use to teach business owners, you know, the importance of every one of those components. But the five key things we keep our eyes on are the number of leads. So for me, that's your reach. How well you convert, which you guys are familiar with. Mm-hmm. The average dollar sale the repeat transactions, which for me is frequency, and frequency is pretty much set for each product and service, and then the cost of doing business. So, when we talk about cost, we look at the variable costs related to a direct sale or, you know, direct service provision. So, anything that we would on charge to a client or is part of our cost of sales, and then our overhead, so what it costs us to run our office and our business. So that's largely, you know, rent, insurances, salaries, wages, and on costs, those sorts of things. So, yeah, that's our base level formula. And I guess that's one of the fundamental formulas that every business owner has to get their head around. And then we step sort of 
on from that when we talk about growing a business and we talk about the components or the attributes or the key competencies that are unique to a, to a particular business that you then focus on in terms of your action plan to cement your position in a marketplace. So let's just say, you know, if we were online marketers, then your positioning is pretty much going to be around a particular group of service offerings. So you might have three or four service offerings and to roll out those service offerings, you're going to have three to five core competencies or attributes that mean when you roll out those services, you're really good at what you do. And so really growing a business is about growing those core competencies or those attributes. And most business owners can't identify them. So we work with that five ways formula and then the business model of core competencies basically to grow businesses. Mm, And is that different to USP or that's really the bit that feeds into the USP really, right? Do you know what you're spot on? The USP actually, when I draw it on a whiteboard, I draw the USP or the business purpose in the middle, like in a circle, and then I put the core competencies around that. And those core competencies are what we then formulate action plans around. So we're always focusing on strengthening those core competencies so we maintain our USP or our business purpose. Hmm. That's a good approach. I like that. Lots yeah, of gold yeah, nuggets, no, Lise. <laughs> Lots of gold nuggets. Oh, I'm glad to share. I hope someone out there listening gets some benefit. <laughs> and ultimately, this, this is like a private consult. This, this is. I mean, look, there's nothing ultimately <laughs> like someone sitting down with you <laughs> to talk about their, you know, their one-on-one with you about what it is their business is or their ideas are or what they're doing. So. This sort of stuff that we're sharing is fantastic, but ultimately they're not going to get anywhere near the degree of input and outcome unless they go and speak to you. So do you do consultations only in person or do you do them over the phone or when you're working with clients, workshops? Give us your preferred methods of dealing with people and who your ideal customer is so people who are listening to this can go, "Mm, that's no point contacting Lisa because I'm not her ideal customer. So we, okay. don't, we don't want scores and scores of people who, who are out there listening to this podcast, all those millions of people coming to you and annoying <laughs> you and wasting your time. So who should contact <laughs> you and who shouldn't contact you? <laughs> okay. I'm a speaker and a drawer. As I've been speaking to you guys this morning, I've been drawing in the air because I'm so used to having a whiteboard in front of me. <laughs> yeah, I do that. So I, I do do a lot in person, but I actually do a lot via phone and Skype and internet. So what I tend to do when I'm working via Skype is I'll draw on a notepad and then put it up to the camera. (laughs) And that seems to work equally as well. So I find that most people like to meet with me, which, you know, for me works really well too. I'm really happy to meet over the internet as well. I have a number of people who live remotely and so we do work via phone and Skype and then when they're in Perth or when I'm where they are, we'll do a face-to-face session. Typically, the way that our services are broke up, so we do business coaching, which are two-hour sessions with business owners and really on an as-needed basis. So business owners can call the office, talk to Claire, schedule a time, usually 
there's a six-week <laughs> lead time. So just I'll put that out there. That's pretty normal for us because we've been around for so long. But it actually gives business owners time to get their list of questions together. And I always ask for information if I haven't worked with a business before so that I can get a feel for the business before I actually clock on to talk to the, the business owner or the business owners for two hours. So we have those two-hour business coaching sessions, which can be in person or via phone or Skype. And then we have a different offering for the bigger businesses where we work with the directors and their management teams and they are our consulting services so we have different service levels that we offer each month so that ranges from you know um, strategic plan to management meeting facilitation to HR advisory it could be brand strategy and marketing execution it can also be leadership coaching and mentoring for the executive team so just that's tailored pretty much for each business and that's on a monthly basis so they're typically businesses that are five mil turnover or more usually five mil to around 100 mil turnover. And I've got a team of people that help me with that. So I direct it and then we have providers. And then the third thing that I do is I do a private advisory. So for business people and some of those people are in government roles, publicly listed companies, where they need an external sounding board, a confidential sounding board, somebody that's not in their normal peer group at work just to test their business ideas on. So a lot of these people will have big teams, they'll be making decisions with large amounts of money that perhaps, you know, they've never managed before. And so I do that private advisory work as well that's actually not as structured it's always based on what the person needs so I'm you know again it's a bit like the business coaching if they've got an idea of what they want to talk about they'll contact me we'll set up a session so most of those sessions tend to be about every four to six weeks unless there's a crisis and then there might be three sessions in a week yeah and then so there are three offerings that are pretty core and then In addition to that, then I just deliver workshops for other providers that already have their workshop material prepared. So I'll do workshops for, there's a program called Curtain Growth Program at the Curtin University in WA and also for our small business centre in Perth, some of their small business workshops. I do the online marketing, the business financials, business plan. What else do I do? Social media which is an intro course. And yeah, and other than that, speaking for special events. So depending on the audience, I can usually put together a presentation that's tailored if I've got enough information. So that's pretty fun too. So that's the juice. That's brilliant. And yeah, that's that's a lot. (laughs) I'm exhausted just hearing that, Lise. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I know, it is is actually a lot. When you you talk about it like that. I'm feeling very lazy all of a sudden. I don't do it all (laughs) myself. (laughs) Now, the best way to contact you with your new website, which is uh, still, as we speak, probably under development. It's not fully live yet. I think you've got a holding page at this moment for a little ray of sunshine.com.au. We do. Awesome. And what would be the best email? Would it be Lisa at a little ray of sunshine.com.au to get in touch? Or something no. else. Okay. <laughs> Scratch that Honest- one. I'll, I'll edit that out. <laughs> Ed, honestly, you know, that's one of the most interesting things for me is that 10 years in, I actually don't look at email 
and I don't answer the phone. Okay, so and, anyone listening, don't contact the- Lisa. <laughs> you're not going to get her. <laughs> Everything she just said, completely. Facts, facts only. Facts. Yeah, facts only. <laughs> no, do you know what? That's that's one of the rules of actually growing that you need to get out of the daily detail. I've got a fantastic business coordinator, Claire, who is actually our officer of first impressions and she manages all incoming calls and incoming emails. And so you can get to her via email. So to be info at a little ray of sunshine.com.au or via phone 089339 Fantastic. And, and she will she will be the best person to talk to first base because she coordinates all of us and yeah, she knows awesome. exactly what's in my calendar. <laughs> yeah, please a legend. This was a yeah. perfect lesson. That in itself was a very, very powerful lesson for anyone listening is that you are not the person that everyone wants to contact. And that is a really important factor. I mean, that's something we're doing with the new business we're rolling out now. I'm not having my name anywhere on it. <laughs> like, I, It's going to be a complete standalone <laughs> business that doesn't mention me. There's no emails to me. I'm not anywhere in it. So, And that is yeah. a wonderful thing to think of because <laughs> sometimes we just want to go and hide, it, don't we? It's liberating. And do you know what? Honestly, I am... I'm, Claire has me scheduled from when I start to when I finish. So I honestly don't look at my laptop more than for an hour a day. She pretty much manages my inbox and tells me who's screaming. (laughs) So we do have, you know, people that are in situations. So they're the people that I deal with usually first. We triage everything that comes in. And honestly, I don't get much of a chance to return calls. So the calls that I do return are for our our consulting clients where we have you know a commitment to offer service level agreement so they're always my priority and then if I can fit anything else in I will but usually at the end of the day the way that it works is I look at my calendar when I finish my consults and Claire will have added three or four calls that I need to return and I tick them off and then I start the next day and I look at what she's put in my calendar and, and that's pretty much how it works. So if you ask me what I'm doing next week, I honestly can't tell you. That is <laughs> a good way to be. Good, very good way to be. So unless there's anything else, Brendan, yeah. um, I think what Lisa has shared with us today has been absolutely awesome. And those who are listening who haven't got that, don't go and start a business because you probably shouldn't be in business. So if you have any more questions, contact us or put a comment. And uh, thank you very, very much, Lisa, for your time. It's Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for all your help in the past with the projects we've worked on. You've been a legend. So anyone who is thinking of using Lisa, you could not get anyone better. So make sure you give her a uh, or send an email through. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. And, and, and at some stage in the next 40 years, she may get back to you. And, and, uh, <laughs> Claire I, will always get back to you. Only kidding. So uh, <laughs> thanks again. Thanks, Brendan. It's been thanks, guys. fantastic. Thanks for listening to the e-commerce marketing and optimization podcast. If you want the latest e-commerce tips, tactics, and strategies, make sure to join our mailing list at ParettoEcommerce.com. 